Hello and welcome to Tommy Unknown episode 19. We join you back after a, a week of a, a little hiatus uh, and some, some conflicts, but we are back uh, again, better than ever. And today we have a, a wonderful topic to talk about. Of course, centered in African American history, but talking about aviation. Uh, I, I am your host, Ruben Wright, and I'm always joined with my wonderful guest, uh, the Dr. Roosevelt Rick Wright Jr., uh, Captain U.S. Navy, PhD, Syracuse University, Professor Emeritus, but of course he's here to share some wonderful knowledge with us, some wonderful knowledge about African-American aviation. I think he has three little segments, three little topics to talk about. Without further ado, I'm going to hand it right off to him so we can get right into this podcast and learn some wonderful things today. Well, Ruben, thank you so much for letting me uh, finally uh, be on your podcast again. But again, this is indeed a pleasure to talk African-American history, also your family ancestry, and also since I'm a guy who you know quite well, being your dad, this is really indeed a great honor. Ruben, I just, the other day, I was over at the Veterans Administration Hospital, and of course, there are a lot of books on the walls, on the shelves for, you know, veterans who are waiting to get their appointment at a typical, you know, big-time doctor's office, man. And I'm looking on the uh, table, like God put it there, is a book called The Black Eagle by John Pierre Nugent. And then I said, my God, The Black Eagle the first African-American aviator in the United States of America. And a lot of people don't know about the Black Eagle. And, of course, I'm talking about Hubert Fontroy Julian, an incredible brother. And in thinking about that, I said, hey, hold it. In our next broadcast, let me talk about African-American aviators and a connect to our own family. And this morning, I want to kind of get into three basic dimensions of this. But I will start out by saying that your grandfather, Mr. Roosevelt R. Wright Sr. of Elizabeth City, North Carolina, when I was growing up, and I think I was probably about 10 or 11 years old, Dad told me a story about an early African-American aviator who was from Elizabeth City, North Carolina. His name was Vesuvius Perry. And, of course, uh, we're talking, you know, the 1940s. You got the Tuskegee Airmen, of course, where African Americans are being trained to join the United States Army Air Force. Air Forces, which is the precursor to the United States Air Force. Well, anyhow, Dad told me that uh, Vesuvius had gotten his uh, pilot's license, and this is doing right when the war was kicking off, World War II. And, of course, uh, he flew an airplane into Elizabeth City, and landed at what was the Elizabeth City Municipal Airport, which is an airfield for civilian aircraft, private aircraft. And, of course, they had sod runways. And Daddy said it was a biplane, two-seater, that he flew in. And he and Vesuvius had grown up together. And he flew into Elizabeth City. And, of course, he was there to take your grandfather to visit your great-aunt, who was Captain Edna Virginia Wright, at that time Lieutenant Edna Virginia Wright, United States Army nurse at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. And Dad told me about uh, waiting for fog to lift at Elizabeth City. And, of course, they flew from the Elizabeth City Municipal Airport into Fayetteville, North Carolina, and Fort Bragg. And he took your grandfather down to see his sister, who was your great aunt, Lieutenant Edna Virginia Wright. And Dad told me about that story. And I, over the years, I want to do further research to check out Vesuvius Perry, who was a great aviator uh, from Elizabeth City, North Carolina, who was a African-American aviator. Dad did show me a book uh, some years later, and it was a big quote about Vesuvius Perry. 
And I'll have to get into the archives and find that particular story. But today, I wanted to basically base this story on what is called, and who is now called, the Black Eagle. If you listen to Sirius XM Satellite Radio, um, my, my main man, uh, the Black Eagle, uh, who is actually on the air every uh, 10 o'clock, and of course he does an incredible show, but he has named himself the Black Eagle. And of course, this particular young man called the Black Eagle is an incredible story. His name was Colonel Hubert Fauntroy Julian, who gives chase to adventure under the norm of the Black Eagle. And basically, this is a story that many people don't know about, because this brother was really, I mean, this brother was full of class, excitement, brilliance, and dynamic, and became really the first African-American aviator in the United States of America. And of course, he was the first African-American parachutist. He actually invented parachutes, man, and four guys even had it. And also the first African-American licensed pilot. And he had performed as a bond, stormer, a stunt and charter power pilot. He was a rum runner. This guy was a foreign correspondent, an air marshal, lecturer, mediator, mercenary, movie producer, arms dealer, lobbyist, inventor, government advisor, double. And sometimes this brother was a triple agent, man. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how many people do not know the story of Colonel Hubert Fontroy Julian, the Black Eagle. And, of course, uh, his portfolio also was areas of fundraising and a bodyguard and a diplomat with just an incredible story. And the story of his life touches on just about every world trouble front from Harlem in the 1920s to the Congo in the 1960s. And, of course, Colonel Julian ran the Imperial Air Force for Haile Selassie, who ended up uh, Ethiopia, Emperor of Ethiopia in the 1920s. This guy ran guns into Guatemala in the 50s. He is from Ebo, Ebos, and sometimes clashed with very important people. Father Divine, Gorin of the German Air Force, President Harry S. Truman, Robert Kennedy, and many, many more people. But the story is, is that many people do not know the story of our first African-American licensed pilot here in the United States of America. Flamboyant, incredible story. And of course, I'm basing this on the book, The Black Eagle by John Pierre Nugent. And of course, Colonel Hubert Fontenoy Julian, first African-American licensed pilot. I'm bringing this up because I want to tell, tell you a family story with regards to our family. And the story is my dear friend who's like a brother and also probably an adopted uncle for you, guy, is Mr. Charles Hopkins Bowser of Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Billy Bowser, nickname, and I grew up together in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. We both were crazy about the same kind of things, electronics, aviation, and especially airplanes. Many times when we were growing up in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, of course, Elizabeth City having two major military bases, the United States Coast Guard Air Station at Elizabeth City, and of course, the Naval Air Facility at Weeksville that flew blimps and helicopters, became really a daily visitation and a really aviation training laboratory for Billy Bowser and yours, Julia Dad, Dr. Rick Wright. But of course, in growing up, his father and mother were teachers at the Pasquotank County Elementary School in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. 
And the key thing that happened in our growing up, this also many happens to many wonderful friendships. His mother and father left Elizabeth City to move north for better opportunities as teachers, and they moved to New Jersey. And I never forget, we were both in school at P.W. Moore High School in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And I never forget the day Billy told me that he was leaving the city. And boy, I felt so just heartbroken to lose a dear friend because his parents were moving to, at that time, I think, New Brunswick, New Jersey. And of course, as African-American teachers, you know, teaching in a segregated, you know, racist uh, environment of education. The move north was, migrat- was a migratory trip that most African Americans took, you know, going north. And in this case, the Bowser family left <coughs> Elizabeth City to go north. Well, Billy and I maintained communications by letter writing, and he told me of his exploits and all. And of course, we finished high school about at the same identical time, the class of 1960. I had at P.W. Moore High School in Elizabeth City and Billy up in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, first, uh, off the college, I go to Elizabeth City State University for my freshman year, majoring in industrial arts technology. And Billy went to Howard University in uh, Washington, D.C., majoring in engineering. But he always wanted to major in aeronautical engineering. And of course, once he got to Howard for his freshman year, he found that the academic uh, major that he wanted was not available at the great historical powerhouse university like Howard, the aviation. It had mechanical and electrical engineering and civil engineering, but he wanted aeronautical engineering. So Billy transferred to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And of course, uh, there, he uh, majored in aeronautical engineering. Well, the story goes this way. Uh, He's in his uh, sophomore year at the University of Illinois. I'm in my sophomore year at Elizabeth City State University. While at the University (coughs) of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, Billy becomes uh, a member of the Flying Club. They had a flying club there. And also you got to remember that this is the University of uh, Illinois' Urbana-Champaign, and Billy's an African-American and one of the very few African-American students majoring in aeronautical engineering in the 1960s. So he was a pioneer in that area. But while there, going through the aeronautical engineering program, it also had a flight training program to train you to get your uh, private pilot's license. And Billy goes through that program, and of course, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign had a flying club when they had airplanes. And once you got your private pilot's license and got your license to fly, there were airplanes that you could basically uh, get on the roster and uh, not basically rent it, but it's, it's for your use. Of course, you had to put your own gas and all that in it from understanding that. Well, anyhow, it was roughly about the Christmas of 1962. We both in undergraduate school. <clears throat> I'm at Elizabeth City State University. By the way, everybody, please excuse me. Allergies is one of my big uh, concerns every summer. And this is uh, the end of June in the year 2019 as we broadcast our I our podcast from the studios of iHeartMedia in Syracuse, New York. Uh, the key thing I wanted to indicate at this time, Christmas comes up, uh, 1962. And I get a phone call from Billy, and he tells me, uh, and my nickname was Sonny, is a nickname uh, your grandmother, Miss Lily May Wright, gave me. And he called me on the phone and says, Sonny. I said, yeah, Billy, where are you? He said, I'm at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. I've got my pilot's license. 
and I've also checked out an airplane over the Christmas holidays. And he said, I'm going to fly home to Elizabeth City to see you. And I said, you going to fly? He said, yes, I'm going to fly. And, of course, this is 1962, and I was so excited. And, of course, he called me and gave me calls about his flight path that took him from uh, a Cham- Urbana-Champaign Airport, the University of Illinois, across Illinois, flying across the Appalachian train. And, of course, there was a young lady he brought with him who was a student at the University of Illinois. Billy, being an African-American pilot, this young lady was a young lady from the other hue. She was a white female. And she lived in Richmond, Virginia. And she asked Billy could um, he take her you know, home. He said, love to. So Billy said he didn't realize so he jumped in this airplane, which was a Cessna 140 uh, two-seater tail dragger. And they leave the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, heading for Richmond, Virginia. I think it said one stop, probably Ohio somewhere, and reloaded the you know airplane up with gas and got some food. But he said he flew into the Richmond, uh, Virginia airport at that time, private field for private aviation. And he flew in, and I'll guess this young uh, white female who was a student at the University of Illinois and this brother, African-American, flying the plane. He said that the people at the hangar there, jaws just dropped. And, of course, before they started asking a lot of questions, Billy said he just basically had the engine still running. She got out of the plane. She got her luggage. And, basically, he basically got permission and took right off out of uh, the Richmond, Virginia airport. And he said he flew into a Husky, North Carolina, where he had cousins and all. And then from a Husky, he called me and said he'd be landing at Elizabeth City, uh, Manisola Airport. And this is a couple of days before Christmas of 1962. And, of course, it's December, you know, wintertime. Weather's pretty good, though, not uh, a lot of snow and cold weather in this part of North Carolina. So he comes in, and your grandfather, Dad, uh, Mr. Roosevelt Sr., I told Daddy about it. And Dad had a very dear friend named Mr. Carlton Edridge by the name of Mr. Blue, who and Dad, they were just like best of friends. Mr. Blue was a very smart guy who was really smart in electronics and all, just love. He was sort of a worldly, global guy like your grandfather. So they took me, and I told them that uh, that uh, Charles Billy had called me and said he'll be landing about 1330, which is 1.30 in the afternoon. And it's a couple of days before Christmas Eve of December 1962. So we go out to the airport, which is Elizabeth City Municipal. Things pretty quiet. There were only about three or four planes that were on the, uh, you know, on the apron. Uh, all side runways had one hangar there. But, they, of course, the airport was maintained or manned by a couple of uh, aviators uh, who were, you know, basically hired by the Pasquotank County, Elizabeth City Aviation Commission. So we went out, and, of course, uh, they knew your grandfather. Dad was well-known in the city. And he said, my, your grandfather's nickname was Buster. And we rolled out, and we got in a car, and one of the guys said, Hey, Buster, how you doing, man? What you doing out here at the airport? He said, my son has a dear friend who used to live in Elizabeth City who's flying in from Illinois. And he said he's filed a flight plan, you know, for Elizabeth City. He said, what, really? So we're there, and then roughly about um, 1.30 that day, I think we got out to the airport around 12.30, and we're walking around and talking to the guy. They want to know everything about what was going on. And then right at roughly about uh, 1.30 that afternoon, I think it would be the 23rd of December, uh, 1962, right out of the skies came this Cessna 140 buzzing the airfield, and Billy made a couple of passes around and lined up and landed at the Elizabeth City Municipal Airport.
And when he pulled up, the thing about it is that the the gentleman who even knew your grandfather, of course, we're all African-Americans, your dad and all, and these two guys who were white, I think it didn't take, a, I don't think they had under their incomprehension that the pilot would be an, a young African-American male. So Billy pulls up, they put the, he cuts the engine off, they put the, uh, you know, the wheel, wheel uh, cocks there to tie the plane down and everything, and Billy gets out of the airplane, and these two guys were absolutely fabiglasted that Billy was an African-American flying this airplane. So anyway, he got the plane there, and then Dad introduced him to him and said, oh, my God, we'll take, so you, and they had a million questions to ask of Billy, and he told me he was an aeronautical engineering major at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So there we were, home, and then, of course, uh, Billy's uh, aunt lived right across the street from uh, Elizabeth City State University, and, of course, his mom and dad were still in Illinois at the time. But he came home just to see, uh, we were just best of friends, man. So while there, uh, Billy also took your grandmother, uh, Ms. Lily Mae Wright. Mom went flying with Billy one day. They went out to the airport, and they flew all over the city, man. <laughs> it was incredible. And then brought Mom back down. I think they spent about two hours flying around, went up to Norfolk, Virginia, flew out on the Outer Banks, and they came back on that next day right before on Christmas Eve. Well, Christmas Day of um, 1962, uh, Billy and I said, let's, take some, let's do something real fascinating that day. So we went out to the airport, and your grandfather and Mr. Blue also, and also your cousin, uh, he was a little young kid at the time, Tyus Few, who became a school superintendent in Halifax County, well in Reynolds Rapids, North Carolina. Tyus, of course, is a private pilot, and I think this is one of the things that motivated him. To, he loved aviation, too, and he was much younger. He'd hang out with Billy and I. We used to go out to the uh, Coast Guard Air Station, the Naval Air Facility, looking at the airplanes take off and land. Well, that day, on that Christmas day, we left Elizabeth City after your grandfather and Mr. Cawthon Etheridge, Mr. Blue, brought us out to the airport. We took off, I think, roughly probably about 11 o'clock on Christmas Day, and we left um, the Elizabeth City Municipal Airport, Cessna 140. We gained altitude, and then we had to contact the air traffic control uh, tower at Coast Guard Air Elizabeth City, indicating we were in the air and flight plan, flight plan had been filed. But from there, we flew directly to the Wright Brothers' first flight, which is a runway and airfield right at the Wright Brothers Memorial where the Wright Brothers basically flew the first airplane in the United States in December of what we think we're talking, 1903. And, of course, that was a magical day. And, of course, at that time of the year, the Outer Banks of North Carolina is pretty much isolated. You know, it's, it's wintertime. It's not tourist season or whatever. But we lined up and landed at First Flight Airfield at uh, Kitty Hawk, uh, Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina, on that Christmas day. Landed the plane, and then we went over to the uh, tie-down area and tied the plane down. And we got out, and we walked around and walked up to the Wright Brothers Monument. And then we went to the actual marker where they basically took off the first powered flight. And then, of course, they had tools. They had a cabin and a hangar, replicas of what the Wright Brothers had had. A little windy that day. The beach was isolated. But we had already been there as kids when we used to go out on the Outer Banks. But this time we flew into Wright um, First Flight 
not really realize the significance of what we had really done. And the more I think about it, it was some magnificent day. The sad thing, I can't believe we didn't take a lot of photographs or pictures that day of being two young guys who were roughly, uh, hey, Ruth, I think we were about your, we were sophomores. So we were only about 19, 20 years old, man, your generation and what you are right now. Well, later that day, after we walked around the Wright Brothers uh, Memorial Monument, looked at it, took in the fact that this is where aviation was invented and developed, we took off from first flight at Killable Hills on our flight plan, and our next stop was we jumped out on the ocean side of the Outer Banks. And I forgot, I think we went up, we flew about, about four or 5,000 feet is what our level flight was. And Bill, I used to, I was, Bill would be showing me how to fly, I was flying the plane myself, and of course getting my flight lessons that day in 1962, Christmas. But from there we flew uh, on the ocean side of the Outer Banks, and we over Nags Head, and then over Oregon Inlet, and then of course we flew across Pea Island. And while flying across Pea Island, we talked about the our ancestors, who are all African American surfmen in the United States Coast Guard, that man and all African American Coast Guard station called Pea Island, and we basically flew around it and circled around it, thinking about those brothers. I'm sure they would never thought that above that site in the late 1800s when they were manning that station in the 1900s, that one day some of their own ancestors uh, would be flying, circling around in an airplane on Christmas Day of 1962. In fact, of the P. Island surfmen, United States Coast Guard, uh, Billy's father was the Bowser family, and then, of course, our family was the Mackey and Collins families. We were descendants of these Coast Guardsmen who were the first African-American to man, to man an all-African-American uh, Coast Guard station, P. Island. This is roughly 30 miles north of Cape Hatteras. And then after that, we uh, leveled the plane off and headed for Billy Mitchell Field. Uh, Billy Mitchell Field, Billy, uh, that is uh, Reuben, and to this great uh, audience, was named after uh, Air Force General Billy Mitchell, who basically right off the Virginia North Carolina Capes, uh, he proved the power of air power and its ability to sink battleships. But at this time, uh, the United States Navy, which was a battleship navy, did not like naval aviation or aviation at all. Even kind of on the Army side, too. But he proved this, and General Billy Mitchell was really arrogant. Just He wanted to really prove the power of air power. But instead of really giving him a hero's uh, awards and everything with sinking these battleships, they basically ended up court-martialing him. And there's a movie called A Court Martial of Billy Mitchell and a book you can read. Well, the airfield at Cape Hatteras is named Billy Mitchell Field. And we, were, we got to Cape Hatteras, and Cape Hatteras is really one of the roughest portions of the Atlantic seaboard. It's a graveyard of the Atlantic where many ships have gone ashore and been sunk. Of course, during World War II, German submarines were operating in that area, sinking American ships until we finally got our act together with anti-submarine warfare operations to go after the German submarines. But the key thing is we were circling around that day, and we were looking for the wind sock that basically gives you the direction on which to land, and we couldn't find it. So we were trying to make a, a, a decision on which approach should we land in the runway at uh, Billy Mitchell Field, the airfield right at Cape Hatteras. And there's a Cape Hatteras lighthouse there looking at us also. So we circle around and then we finally made a decision. Let's make an approach uh, from the north, no, from the south into the north. When we land in time, we head into the pattern. We landed downwind. Basically, you're supposed to land into the wind. 
to, uh, you know, kind of have the air friction, help slow the plane down in your landings. We landed with the wind. That meant the wind was taking us, and we hit the runway, and we said, oh, my God, we landed downwind. So immediately at that time, you start losing power on your engine and start breaking your plane. And basically, we ended with we. I think we had about uh, 10 feet of runway remaining. <laughs> we finally got the plane stopped. But it was a fast one, and we turned around. And then there were some people who were uh, at, I mean, they were tourists, either neighbors or whatever, who lived at Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. And they were at the area, um, basically you got, a, you got a whole tie-down area when you come off the runway. So we came up there and tied the plane down. And these folk were really curious. I think it had to be about eight or nine people. Here's an airplane that was landing on Christmas Day. But what was incredible about that moment was then we opened up the doors on the plane, the Cessna 140, and we got out. The people who were there were all white uh, uh, tourists or white natives of the area. And they saw these two young African-American males getting out of the Cessna 140 at Billy Mitchell Field on Christmas Day. And they were absolutely like aghast, man, <laughs> at us that they had never seen really two young black uh, males, not old, but young guys flying an airplane. And they had a million questions for us that day. And we uh, answered in a real humble way, gave them a look at the plane and everything. And we were on the ground at uh, Billy Mitchell Field, uh, Cape Hatteras that day on Christmas of 62. Uh, we went there for at least maybe about an hour, an hour, 15 minutes. But after that, uh, we uh, went back to the plane and we fired her up, did all the pre-flight checkoff checks and stuff. And then we basically went to the runway, turned around and full power took off. And then on our way back, we didn't take the ocean side of the Outer Banks of North Carolina. We flew inland this time. And we uh, basically set up a course from uh, Billy Mitchell Field at Cape Hatteras for Manio, North Carolina. And uh, Billy's family had a lot of uh, property and everything and relatives in Manio, North Carolina, which is on Roanoke Island. And this is where the lost colony, so Walter Raleigh, the Englishman who came over in the 15th century trying to establish the first permanent colony in America that didn't happen. And, of course, uh, the people who were settled there end up really missing, and they develop a whole pageant on it by Paul Green, wrote a story. It's called The Lost Colony. It's an amphitheater that does this. In fact, you were a little baby. We took you there years ago, man, and uh, Andy Griffith used to play a comic role in it. Of course, not on that particular night, but there was about 6,000 people there, and uh, there was a comic thing that happened, and you started laughing as a baby as you were looking at it, and everybody in the place started roaring. Really funny. True story, Ruben. Now you probably want to hear it, but I'm just giving you a story about your own life. Well, anyhow, we flew from there, and then we went into Manio, North Carolina, and there's an airfield at Manio. And the airfield at Manio was a naval air station that was built during World War II for naval aircraft you know, conducting anti-submarine warfare patrols off of the North Carolina coast. It was also an auxiliary airfield for aircraft flying out of the naval air facility at Weeksville and also the aircraft Coast Guard aircraft out of Coast Guard Air Station Elizabeth City and also planes out of Norfolk Naval Air Station during World War II. Of course, when the war was over, the airport was given to the city and we landed there that day and um, we were on the ground for maybe a couple. I went and had some barbecue, some food and all. And then we took a, 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 got a car that was available for visiting aviators and drove down to a section of Manio, North Carolina, where Billy's family had lived and some property that they had there. And then, of course, after looking at that, we drove by the Lost Colony, the 
uh, theater. We've gone there many times, and I've been there uh, to see the outdoor production of Paul Green's The Lost Colony. When I was a young man growing up in Elizabeth City with Dad and Mom and my Aunt Edna and, all, and Uncle Few would take us out and go swimming there. And then, of course, we went back to the plane, took off, and then we made a beeline uh, bearings from uh, the airport at Roanoke Island and then flew directly uh, across the Albemarle Sound across the mouths of the Pasquotank River and right up to the airport at Elizabeth City, Municipal Airport. And this was Christmas of December uh, 25th, uh, 1962, and we landed at the airport, and we landed at the airport, your grandfather, Mr. Blue, and the others, and a bunch of other folk, by the way, uh, from our neighborhood, three, a bunch of African-American uh, family members and relatives and friends were at the airport. I think about four or five cars were out to see us land, and it was an incredible day. And what a Christmas gift it was for your dad. But talking about aviation uh, this afternoon, and of course I was reading the book, as I indicated to you again, about the Black Eagle, uh, Colonel Hubert Fontroy Julian, who was the first African-American aviator, licensed pilot in the United States. And then, of course, um, thinking about Mr. Vesuvius Perry, who was a dear friend of your grandfather, who was from Elizabeth City, North Carolina, who also was one of the early African-American licensed aviators and pilots here in the United States. And in later years, dear friend, very dear friend, uh, Billy Bowser, African-American aviator who graduated from the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, and the time he flew the plane home to North Carolina in 1962. Billy, of course, after graduating from the University of Illinois, he became an aeronautical engineer, worked with NASA. He was on the project to help build the engines for the space shuttle. He became a test pilot, civilian test pilot, the Navy uh, test pilot school and was stationed at base like Naval Air Station, Patuxent River, Maryland. He also was at Edwards, Edwards Air Force Base out in California and a bunch of other things that he's done. And then, of course, he set up his own uh, aviation business that he has to this very day based in Georgia. So, Ruben, uh, your podcast today, just thinking aloud again about aviation, African-American aviation and aviators who have become incredible in our business and also a direct connect to even our own family and our ancestry. Hey, any questions? We close out our podcast today. No, wonder, wonderful story. And of course, we tie in to uh, personal uh, memories, but also a, a wonderful story about an African-American who, uh, of course, had to endure uh, a little bit of turmoil. But what, uh, what African-American has not had to endure and uh, have a little bit of turmoil to achieve some great success. But uh, thank you, as always, uh, for your wonderful stories and your wonderful contribution. Well, again, thank you so much for letting me be on your podcast. And, of course, uh, Thinking Out Aloud. And, of course, in this case, it all happened with a book that I saw on the desk, along with a, lot, a whole lot of other books at the Veterans Administration Hospital here in Syracuse, New York. I was over to pick up some medicine a few weeks ago, and there was the book, The Black Eagle by John Pierre Nugent. After I finish reading the book, uh, maybe our next uh, podcast, I'll give a continuation of the exploits of this incredible brother because man, it looks like he did everything. Mm -hmm. But of course, it looks also in, my, in the section of the book I'm reading, um, he had become a parachutist and flying airplanes in New York City. He was born, of course, in the, he's a West Indian, a Port of Prince. Then, of course, his family moved to Canada. And his dad was uh, a businessman. I think his mother was a teacher in Canada. 
And, of course, they were up and migrated to Canada and the descendants of African-American slaves on the Underground Railroad who had moved into Canada who he grew up with. Mm -hmm. But uh, his, he went to the best of schools now in Canada. And then, of course, uh, wanted to become an aviator. He was hanging around the airfields of Montreal, Canada, uh, hanging around as this young little African-American guy. And finally, uh, one of the guys who was a flight instructor, kind of ran the aerodrome, as we would call it, at Montreal, Canada, uh, took him in mm -hmm. and said, come over. And he started learning how, that's how he learned how to fly airplanes and all. And then, of course, eventually he was doing quite well in Canada. And then, of course, he had, understand he came down in a limousine that was driven by a chauffeur into Harlem and cased a little bit of money in his suitcase, ended up staying with some young lady, an older lady who took him in. And while he was there, uh, he started talking about aviation, got an airplane and started flying all around New York City. And then, of course, he was trying to find, you know, daredevils was a big thing happening then. And he was trying to get some traction. And how he eventually started getting traction, he had developed a parachute. So, you know, other guys had been jumping out of an airplane. They'd been basically, there were no parachutes. You either fly the plane and get killed, you know, crashing, or you had to land it safely. You didn't jump out of it. So he jumped out of the airplane over Harlem, New York City, and that's how he got to be known. And then, of course, still as an African-American, he got beat up on big time. And, of course, eventually um, a student who was at Howard University who was a relations to the emperor, the new emperor of uh, Ethiopia, mm -hmm. Haile Selassie, uh, had heard about him and invited him to come to Ethiopia to set up an air force mm -hmm. uh, for the Ethiopians. And they also wanted uh, um, Colonel uh, Julian to do an air show, to do something really spectacular for the coronation, you know, the coronation, the coronation, what is coronation, coronation of uh, Haile Selassie. And, of course, uh, this is in the 1930s, right when the Great Depression happened. So he goes to Ethiopia, man, and, and, and the road, I mean, they just open it up for him. Mm -hmm. But what happens after becoming a big superstar in Ethiopia, uh, uh, Emperor Haile Selassie gives him the title of colonel mm -hmm. and puts him in charge of the Ethiopian Air Force. And then, of course, he comes back to the United States now with all this glory and money, on a ship, but when he gets to New York City, he is really ostracized, man. As a, as a, in basically because he was an African American aviator. Mm -hmm. The story is absolutely incredible, and there's more to it. But of course, we'll get back to it at another podcast. Well, anyhow, Ruben, today uh, is what the twenty eighth, twenty eighth of June, twenty nineteen, and of course, thank you so much for letting me be again on your great podcast on your great broadcast network. And thank you for continuing to join us. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week uh, to continue uh, on the wonderful stories of telling the unknown. I've been your host, Rune Wright, and this is my guest, uh, the Dr. Roosevelt Rick Wright Jr. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, continue to listen uh, for more episodes, and uh, look forward to next Friday.